Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thanks for tuning in. I am so glad to share the next few minutes with you today. I'm all about you thriving in life and growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say this about ourselves, that we are learning how to live as God's people, and we do this by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. Well, today's message is about repentance. Repentance is not a popular word because uh, the very nature of repentance requires admitting your own mistakes. And receiving forgiveness, well, that starts with admitting a problem that needs forgiven. So today we're going to read a story about two sons, both of whom make a mistake. The difference is one practices repentance, turning away and going back to the father, and the other does not. The absence of repentance in your life is a dangerous condition. Our main scripture today is found in Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. Well, mistakes are never fun to face up to. Often we'd rather hide from our mistakes rather than own them. There's a Peanuts comic strip that captures this well. Lucy and Charlie Brown, they're standing outside, and Lucy appears very thoughtful, and she begins saying, I've been thinking about the past, Charlie Brown. And she continues, I have made a lot of mistakes in my day. Yes, sir, a lot of mistakes. Now, Lucy, she curls up her fist in determination, but I'm going to do something about it. Oh, says Charlie Brown, curiously. What are you going to do, Lucy? And then Lucy thoughtfully places her hand on her chin and she exclaims, I'm going to try to think of some excuses. (laughs) We all respond to our mistakes in different ways. Our, our mistakes, our sins, we, we make excuses for them, we hide them, we ignore them, we, we minimize them, we compare them to others' bigger sins or mistakes, and the only solution is to face our sin head on with repentance. And so the big idea for you today is repentance is a change of mind and a change of direction away from your sin and towards God. It's got to be both of those, away from his sin and towards God. And repentance is critical for igniting obedience. So let's go ahead and read the text in Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir, but he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Well, the first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to, sh- came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. This is a simple story. It's fairly easy to understand. And just as the religious leaders, because that's who Jesus is talking to, the religious leaders of Israel, just as they quickly concluded who did the right thing, we too can see that the first son who changed his mind and ended up going to the vineyard and doing what dad asked, he's the one that did what the father wanted. It's a story about repentance. Repentance. 
And Jesus knows that each one of us needs the power of repentance at work in our lives. And he also knows that repentance is not easy. It's just not in our nature to want to do that. So, Jesus wants us to realize how important repentance is and that a life without repentance, it's a very precarious position to be in. In our text today, Jesus was challenging the chief priests and elders of Israel. These are the people who should be the spiritual dynamos of the nation. And it's at this moment that these leaders are frustrated with Jesus. They want to get rid of him. In Matthew 21, we find the familiar story. If you go back in the chapter a little bit, you'll find the familiar story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The public greets Jesus as king. They cry out, Hosanna. And then Jesus, his next action is to go and clear the temple. He clears out all the money changers. He declares, this is a house of prayer, not a financial or political institution. It's a place where people can seek God. And that's the situation that these chief priests and elders find themselves. They are the political leaders. They are the spiritual leaders. But this Jesus, he was just welcomed as a king. And he was called and he's called out their spiritual leadership in the temple by clearing it out. And they want Jesus dealt with. They want him gone. They want to challenge his authority. And you can read about that exchange in Matthew 21, 23 through 27. And they ask Jesus by what authority he's doing what he's doing. And he challenges their question by asking where John the Baptist got his authority to baptize from. Jesus brings up John the Baptist with purpose, and not least of which was that John's message was a message of repentance. So you go back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, and we read that message where John says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And those that respond to John, those that heard John and believed him, were everyday people. And among them were the outcasts of Israel, the worst of sinners that were thought to be too far from God, that God would take them back. Yeah, they were called the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And tax collectors in the ancient world, we have to remember, they were considered traitors because they didn't work for Israel. They worked for Rome. And they repented. They returned to God. But the chief priests, the elders, they watched John the Baptist and they rejected him. They didn't repent because they didn't think they needed to. They thought they had everything right. And that brings us to the text that we've already read today. And Jesus tells a story of two sons. The first rejects his father's request, but then he thinks better of it. He changes his mind and he obeys the father. The second He's really good at lip service. He says all the right things. He's impressive with words. He can say what's right, what sounds like obedience, but then he goes off and he does whatever he wants. And that second son describes the religious leaders of Israel. They are unwilling to repent. And the result is they are on the verge of missing out on the blessing of God. They think they've got it all right. They can say nice things that sound really spiritual, and then they do whatever they want. And that's always a dangerous position to be in. So, let's talk about repentance. And the first question is, is, well, what is repentance? Repentance is this. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. And it's a change of direction. Now, I want to be careful. Repentance isn't just a detour. It's a decision. 
Repentance happens when we face our sin and we realize our mistake and we change our mind and we say, all right, it's time to turn back to God. That is repentance. It's a turning from your sin and turning back to God. You can't stay in your sin and also join God. You have to turn from it and then turn back to him. In the Bible, there are four chief words that describe repentance. Two of them are Hebrew words that are found in the Old Testament, and two of them are Greek words found in the New Testament. I want to direct your attention to those two Hebrew words for a moment. The first one is naham, which means uh, to pant, to sigh, or to groan. And when you think of that, that sighing, that groaning, you think of a person who's realized their mistake and they go, oh. It also means to lament or to grieve. And so we get the idea to repent. I've I've made a mistake. I, I, I need to make this thing right. Except for here's something very interesting. Think of the moment you think and you realize how bad things are and all the trouble it will be to make things right again. That's what's being described. And interestingly enough about Naham, it's not necessarily about something wrong you did, but a mess you see. Because this word, Naham, is often applied to God himself. It's applied to sinners, but it's applied to God too. Not to say that he makes a mistake or even sins because he doesn't. God cannot sin. But Naham does describe moments when God expresses regret. When God looks down upon creation and he regrets because everyone in creation is sinning and making a mistake and they are messing up. And so God regrets. A classic example is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. It reads like this. The Lord regretted that he made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. He looked and he saw the sin of humankind and he wanted to start over. And so we get the story of the flood and Noah's ark. God's starting over. But Naham also describes us when we realize the problem we're in and we go, oh boy. We feel the weight of the trouble. Now, there's another Hebrew word that just talks about repentance, and it's the classic one you see most often, and it is shuv. This word contains the realization of a mistake, a mistake that's made by your own sin. And then, very specifically, it's about how we respond to that sin. It's about forsaking sin and entering fellowship with God. Shuv is never used to describe God, but it is always used to describe humans who realize their sin and they want to, they see the mistake and they want to deal with it and turn back to God. The prophets of the Old Testament, over and over, they call Israel to shuv, or you might hear the word shove in there. Push away from what you're doing and go back to God. It's turning away from your sin and going back to the Lord. It's a decision being made. It's about a change of direction, but it's about a decision. I can't go this way anymore. I've got to go back to God. Now, let's look at the two Greek terms found in the New Testament. The first one, it's a mouthful, is metamelomai. Metamelomai. And it's to have a feeling of care or concern or regret. Regret for having done something wrong. It's a, a careful point must be made about melomai. Because it sometimes describes someone who regrets what they did, but they don't change. 
They don't go back to God. Melomai is used to describe Judas after he betrays Jesus. He experiences Melomai, but he doesn't return to Jesus and make things right. Peter also experiences Melomai. He denies Jesus. He experiences Melomai. He regrets what he's done, and he does return to Jesus and make things right. So, metamelomai does sometimes mean that you feel the regret, but you don't do anything about it, or that you feel the regret and you say, you know what, I can't live like this anymore. And metamelomai, that's the word we find in the story of the two sons. It shows up twice. First, verse 29, describing the son changing his mind. And then again in verse 32, describing the chief priests and elders, their unwillingness to repent. That changing your mind and that repent in Matthew 21 are both the word metamelomai. The final word for repent in the New Testament. It's very similar to metamelomai, but it's actually more common in the New Testament. It's the word metaneo, metaneo. And that's to think differently about something, to change your mind about something. It's, It's a very simple definition. Acts 2, verse 38, we read this. Peter replied, repent, metaneo, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, what should we make about all these words that are talking about repenting? And they give us little bits of information about repentance. And they they tell us a couple things that, yeah, repentance is part feeling. It's also part decision. Repentance is risky because you're going to lose something. You're going to walk away from something. But repentance also requires you to put your faith in the future, meaning you're going to put your faith in God. So let's talk a minute about repentance as a feeling. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but there is something to that because honesty about your sin, if you're really on, I messed up, I made a mistake, I shouldn't have done that, you should feel some regret over your sin. Charles Spurgeon gives a great illustration about describing feeling the burden of your sin. He says this, did you ever pull a bucket up out of a well? Now, maybe you haven't, but I think you might know what he's talking about here. He says this, you know that when it's full of water, you can pull it easily along so long as the bucket remains in the water, under the water. But as soon as the bucket gets above the water, you suddenly feel how heavy it is. And it's just so with you. While you are in sin, you don't feel it to be a burden. It does not seem to be so evil. But if the Lord wants to draw you out of sin, then you will feel it to be an intolerable and heinous evil. There is an amount of repentance that says, oh boy, I feel this and I feel regret. I feel the burden. And part of repentance is honesty over sin. And yes, it's gonna feel heavy and that's okay. Because it's not to belittle you. It's not to belittle me. It's simply about being serious of the nature of sin. The reality is that repentance does not have an emotional requirement, but a reality requirement. And that reality might have the emotional effect, but it's feeling the weight. Eugene Peterson Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, repentance is not an emotion. It's not feeling sorry for your sins. It is a decision. And so, yeah, there. I actually do believe there's a feeling aspect to repentance. It's 
but that feeling goes as far as you understand the seriousness of sin. But then the bigger part of repentance is the decision. So, we need to talk about that. Repentance is a decision to turn from sin. You have to decide to do that. In our story today, there's two sons. And it is their decision. It's their decisions that make all the difference. One son says he will work in the vineyard, but he decides not to do so. The other son declares that he will not obey, but then later he changes his mind and he goes and he works in the vineyard. The decisions they make make all the difference. I was talking to a friend about this passage, and he pointed out that he didn't really like either son. He said, I don't think either one of them obeyed really well. None of them have the reaction you look for in in an obedient son. And ideally, if you're a parent and you're listening to me, you're probably going, you're right, I wouldn't want either one of those. You you want, ideally, you want a child who receives your request with a glowing attitude and say, yeah, dad, I'll go work in the vineyard. And then they go and they do it. That's not what happens here. I mean, every parent... Every employer, every manager, every leader knows that people are going to fall short. And that's what happens in the story for both sons. Both sons mess up. One rebels openly. I'm not going to go, Dad. One secretly. Hey, Dad, I'm going to go. And then he never does. The difference comes down to their decisions. You might not like the attitude of the first son who defies his father vocally. I'm not going to go. But in the end, he is infinitely better than the son who puts on a show of a good attitude, but then never obeys. Repentance is a decision that changes the course of your actions. Robert South writes this, Repentance has a double aspect. It looks upon things past with a weeping eye and upon the future with a watchful eye. It's a decision. There's a change. And yeah, repentance, there's risk in repentance because there's loss in repentance. One of the reasons repentance is so difficult is that it is risky. Not only does repentance require honesty about your sin, but repentance means you will surrender parts of your life that you felt you were in control of. I thought this was mine to manage. Then you're going to give it over to God. In repentance, you are tempted to focus on what you will lose. And I think that's what the religious leaders were doing as they were grilling Jesus, trying to catch him. They were worried about losing power, losing authority, losing reputation. However, because of that fear of loss, they're unwilling to look forward to what they could gain if they just received Jesus. And when you face the idea of repentance, facing your sin and saying, you know what, I can't do this. I've got to go back to God. You know, there's a lot on the line when you decide it is really time to be real and repent. Because then when that happens, you might lose respect with others. Others might get a different idea of what your reputation is. Your pride is put on the line. People's good opinion of you might be jeopardized when they find out what you're really like. There's a lot to lose, but you have eternity to gain. And we can gain being made in the image that God always wanted us to be made into. 
And so I want to turn to the future part of repentance, faith in the future, faith in the hope, faith in the promise. As much as repentance is response and regret over your sin, what's happened in the past, it's, and it's a decision to turn from sin, it's also a decision to turn towards God and His promise. It's a, it's a turn towards the future. Repentance is not you taking your sin and then getting it right next time. Repentance is trusting that Jesus has paid for your sin upon the cross. Leonard Sweet describes repentance as not just turning from sin, but back to God. And he writes these words, We are learning how to be the original humans that God made us to be. We are returning home. That is what repentance really is. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reads, reads, reads this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. So, repentance is not just a heavy weight. It is hope for what is to come, and it will start coming now into your life. Now, as much as repentance is part of this story of the two sons, that the sons would change their minds. Well, one does and one doesn't. But to be able to change their minds... Obedience is a critical aspect, and so we need to talk about obedience a little bit, because proper repentance will fuel obedience. A.W. Tozer writes these, these words, Repentance isn't only sorrow for past sins, it's also determination not to do... Uh, it's also a determination to now do the will of God as he reveals it to us. So, it's not just, I'm sorry that I messed up, it's, I'm going to do what you ask now, Lord. As important as the decisions of the sons were in the story, to decide to, yeah, you know what, I made a mistake, I'm going to obey my dad. As much as the decisions are important, those decisions need to fuel their actions. There's an old story about a little boy who insisted on standing up on a pew during the church service. After several admonishments, his mother severely threatened him if he stood up one more time. Don't do it again. And so he sat squirming in the pew and he whispered to his mother, Well, I am sitting down on the outside, but I am standing up on the inside. He may have been physically obeying, but his heart sure wasn't. And obedience is not easy for us, but it's essential for your growth as a Christian. Dallas Willard writes this, Obedience is an essential outcome of Christian spiritual formation. There's a story about a little boy who wanted to give God an offering but had nothing to give. He sat on the floor watching people pass by and place their offerings in a large wicker basket. How he longed to give a little of something to the Savior he so dearly loved. He walked to the front of the church and he grabbed the rim of the basket and he hoisted himself inside. When the deacons went to retrieve the boy, one scolded him saying, This is not a play area. Embarrassed and bewildered, the little boy responded, I didn't have anything to give the Lord, so I was giving him myself. Oh, if we could all be like him. After Jesus finishes his parable, he makes it crystal clear that this is not simply a story. People who thought that they would never get another chance to be done with their sin, that they'd never get another chance to draw near to God, they're doing so. Those are the tax collectors and the prostitutes. But also the very people who thought they were so very right are in danger of losing everything. They had forgotten that repentance is a surrender of yourself to God. 
And that is what you or I to do. We are to surrender ourselves to God and give ourselves to Him completely. That is repentance, giving yourself to God completely. And so I invite you today to repent, face your sin, feel its weight, decide to turn from your sin and to turn to God and give yourself to Jesus. In that act of obedience, you will find forgiveness and hope for the future. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you to give you honor and praise. You are the one and only true God, the giver of life, the sustainer of our souls. We are grateful for your grace, for your love for us, and you call for us to join you in the ministry of your kingdom, responding to your great mercy. We need to confess how we have sinned and fallen short, the people you created us to be. Our sins are many and more than we'd like to admit. Ultimately, our inclination is to go our own way and stray from you. Lord, cause us to truly repent and to turn around and to face you. Change our minds and the direction of our lives towards you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.